Hello and welcome to Brainsteep. I'm your host, Corey Schmidt. Here we nerd out over tea and discuss a full range of topics while sipping our steep. We believe tea is a great medium for contemplation. So sit back, relax, grab a cup of your favorite leaf water, and enjoy. Brendan, so here we are. What is today? <laughs> it's uh, April twenty fourth, twenty twenty one. And we're we're doing it. We are going to be taste testing the May Leaf Tea titled Melon Seed Green. So we're both uh, drinking the same tea. Uh, and I know we brewed it a little bit differently. Let's uh, kind of go over real quickly how we each individually brewed this. I I uh, did it at 175 in basically a very tiny gaiwan. Uh, honestly, like once you put the amount of leaf that we're using, which I think it's around five grams, yeah, five grams of tea, tea leaf. Um, this gaiwan that I'm using probably, man, you could probably only get like 80 milliliters of water in there something like that so <laughs> fairly concentrated I'm, I'm drinking it quite concentrated um and i actually i poured off the first brew um into a cup and then brewed it maybe i think four more times and i poured those um together with some ice in a cup and so i'm kind of taste testing both hot and cold nice um, yeah, I did 75, uh, 175 as well. And, uh, I did it in a big, um, not so big, a glass Haribo pot that I have. And I, but I just, I probably poured like 80 mils too. So probably almost the same volume. Okay. Um, and I did 45 seconds. Hmm. Yeah. I did pretty short brews, probably less than 45 seconds for each of mine. Um, you know, I have to say like, okay, the smell of the dry leaf, I really enjoyed. It was really hard for me to describe it. Um, other than just sort of your general notes of like, you know, it is a Chinese green. And so I get some roasted, roasted notes, um, had some sweetness to it. What did you did you have some descriptors for the for the scent of the of the leaf? Either either dry or wet. Yeah, uh, I was getting like some kind of like flowery, like maybe honeysuckle note, mm. um, and then kind of like a warm like uh, I know it says baked potato in the description, but like a warm like baked like cake, like you bake a cake, baked. Uh, something kind of smell yeah you know i'm i'm like getting my nose deep in the wet leaf right now <laughs> as you do and oh, um, the wet leaf is totally different yeah that's great and man i i am again i hate to i i don't know whether it's been incepted into my mind reading that description but i'm getting that sweet potato i'm getting mm. i'm getting that sweet potato and you know maybe that honeysuckle I'm kind of I'm 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 seeing where you're coming from on that. 
man, I could just dive into this. <laughs> I could just I mean, dive I think deep some... in this wet leaf. <laughs> like some some kind of flowery note, I think, is pretty common in most teas. So, I mean, maybe it's not honeysuckle. I don't know. I just don't smell enough flowers, I guess, to pinpoint a specific flower. But some kind of flowery thing. Yeah. And I, I'm getting the same, I don't know about you, but last time when I was talking to you, I described a roast chicken note, and I'm getting that again, and I thought it was unique to that other tea, but I guess that's just my way of describing, like, a roasted green tea smell. Uh, I guess it yeah, has nothing I'm to do with chicken. Yeah, I'm hoping it's that, and it's not that, like, you know, you were cooking and you got some roasted chicken grease in your kettle or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could see... I mean, like, I wouldn't describe it that way, but I could see how, like, yeah, the roasted note that Chinese green teas have, I could see where you're coming from. Like, I can at least get, get halfway to where you're where you're standing there. Man. Yeah, I really... So, so and, and, it, and, and this has happened for me a number of times with different teas. There are certain teas that, frankly, I just love smelling more so than drinking. Like, some of the teas... I don't, it's not like they're, you know, they don't taste bad or anything, but they just don't have the complexity that um, smelling the leaf has. So, and I'm, I'm going to put this one as one of those. Like, I'm drinking it um, both hot and cold. Cold, frankly, man, it almost has nothing. And I don't know, maybe I, I, I poured a number of, of the steeps into this cup. So, I think I'd be getting more from, from it, but it's sort of, I don't know. I'm I'm getting a little bit of a roasted green tea taste, right? Like a a standard taste, but I'm not picking up anything nuanced. The hot definitely has more flavor to it. Um but again, like it's good. It tastes good. It's not like I I dislike it. It's just that it's not as complex to to me. Mm, yeah, I see what you're saying. The uh, yeah, I I sometimes I do a little experiment where I try to uh, I do this a lot with um, <clears throat> with uh, beer too sometimes or no what am I thinking Not, oh coffee coffee is what I do this with. Um, drink it I drink it while I'm I I stick the wet leaves in under my nose as I'm drinking it and I try to like inhale the smell as I have the tea in my mouth just to kind of like I feel uh, like that's cheating over <laughs> Brendan yeah it kind of is overblow the senses or whatever yeah like but like I don't know I it just reminds me of like when I I visited like a uh, a brewery one time and like the brewery had this awesome smell of like hops they were just like putting hops into the thing and I was drinking a beer, and like I swore, it just made the beer taste so good when I had this like hoppy smell in the background. Oh yeah, I can tell. Uh, I mean, so, of course, right? I could totally see that. You're, yeah, you're augmenting the sensation, right? Maybe, maybe yeah, patent, so, uh, maybe patent new little nose sachets. <laughs> you can put your tea leaf <laughs> in and just kind of tie it up against your nostrils while you drink. <laughs> Oh man, that'd be a hilarious I tried that with view. essential 
with uh, essential oils, like you know how they have the the uh, aromatherapy oils. Yeah. Um, like I used to carry a bottle around with me, and I would like smear some under my nose. No way. <laughs> and then I would be like, I would go throughout my day with this smear under my nose, and then once it wore off, I would just smear a little bit more, and I I tried to see if it would like elevate my mood throughout the day. Ooh, interesting experiment, but. Yeah, yeah, I could, I don't know, man, you got to be careful because some of those oils are like pretty potent, like you'd almost be, it'd be almost too intense or something, but then the way smells are, they would wear, you know, you'd, like your, your, um, I forget what the proper name is, but your, like the receptors in your nose, like at a point, you know, in 5, 10, 15 minutes or so, like they just stop receiving that signal you know they stop sending that signal to your brain so you don't smell it anymore oh yeah sure you get like desensitized yeah um that's what i think man because i have to say like i don't think i could be i'm so i i i I guess i'm a sensitive guy here when it comes to smells or something but but uh like the smell of like putrid uh garbage and stuff like that like i I almost cannot handle that. And so I, I'm amazed that some, you know, like someone that works in, um, garbage collection or something, uh, like how do they, how do they handle that job? But, you know, different people react differently to different smells. Right. And, uh, then, yeah, you, you pile on the idea of you just kind of get used to it or you stop smelling it after a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's that tea. I I I don't know. Um, let's give it a let's come up with uh, on the spot rating system and rating. I I give it a in total. I'm gonna give it a seven out of ten. Personally, I really like the smell. I I am totally like I would totally continue brewing this tea and drinking it. It's it's a good tea, um, but it's not like I'm. I'm not like absolutely blasted into the into outer space by it. Hmm. Yeah, I would say the same. Um, I like it coming off of drinking like a lot of uh, Japanese green teas. Mm-hmm. Um, not being so used to the roasty qualities, this uh, the roasted kind of like baked cakey kind of like thing is. Um, it's very good. I really, I really enjoy that, and maybe that's just because I'm coming off of like these fresh, sort of like seaweedy, uh, kind of sweeter green teas. Um, but yeah, doesn't like exactly blast my socks off or anything. But um, I would say like seven, seven out of ten. I I wanted to say too, like the package says uh, lemon. Uh, what is it? Lemon zest or something? Lemon, lemon oil, oil. It says lemon oil. And I wanted to see. I wanted to ask if you if you got any of that lemony. Let's see. Yeah. So so the we agree on that baked potato. I feel right or or something baked. I definitely think I'm getting the baked potato. The cheat the the vanilla cheesecake. No, I can't say I can bring myself <laughs> over to that area. Um, lemon oil. <laughs> Let me see. Let me get my nose deep in these. In these supple leaves. I'm having too much fun 
um, sexualizing these tea leaves. Yeah. It says also, by the remember, it says baked potato moving to vanilla cheesecake and lemon oil. So that lemon oil should come later, according to. But later in terms of like, you know, like I'm on the site, I'm on his, I'm on the page where he like has the full on, like just so we can, um, we can record this. This is actually a tea that, that was harvested on the 20th of April last year. Um, elevation 300 meters. So his notes, like the nose of the empty cup. So that's the thing. Like we're not even taking the full spectrum of scents that uh, he typically does. Cause he'll do like the guy one. Um, he'll, he'll, he'll heat up the guy one. He'll put the leaves inside. He'll he'll smell the dry leaves. Sometimes I think he'll even smell the top of the gaiwan cup, or the, or the lid, sorry. And then he'll brew, and he'll often smell the wet leaf and then smell the inside of the lid after he's brewed. And I've done this a number of times with different teas, and I have to admit, like you do, like it's crazy to say this, but you get like after let's say you use a um gongdao bay so you pour the tea off into a vessel so that you can then serve it to multiple people if you do that you serve say you say you pour that gongdao bay out into whatever two three cups and then you smell the gongdao bay it has a different smell to it than if you smelled it with the tea in it and like so there's all these like nuanced ways in which you can pull uh you know something else out of the experience and uh you know again i hmm. maybe some teas that you don't but like some teas i've been amazed at how different the empty cup <laughs> smells hmm. but uh yeah yeah the i i heard that like to i remember watching some video and seeing that somebody recommended to to smell a tea you should smell yeah the empty cup or they even have those like special cups you're supposed to pour the tea and then dump it out and then smell that cup you know and um i think i think uh yeah like but whenever i smell an empty cup that had the tea in it i get this kind of weird like vinegary almost like smell all the time like it um i mean it just it doesn't smell like the tea it it smells vaguely like the tea but it, it has this weird like uh i don't know i just don't i don't feel like it's a very accurate representation of the tea to smell an empty cup after the tea was in it and i don't know why it seems like it would be but for some reason like i just i get like a weird almost like the oxygen or the air is like interacting with the the few remnants of the tea and it's creating some kind of like different different chemical compounds and it, it just smells differently i like an empty cup after tea was in it to me smells very different than a cup with tea in it yeah absolutely and absolutely I'm, i that's what i'm saying it does smell different and so like why is that though that's so mysterious to me no, yeah, I, I agree. It, it, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, that's what I, I'm saying. It's crazy that 
you can pour it out of a vessel and then smell the vessel that has no longer any tea remaining. I mean, obviously, then a you know residue at the bottom. Um, you know, unless you, I'm I'm guessing if you took a paper towel and wiped the whole thing out like you were cleaning it, it's probably gonna lose that quality. But um, I don't get the like I'm smelling the cup. I just I just drank the full first cup of this. And I'm getting such a stronger, sweet scent from it. It's really nice. Mm. Yeah, I like it. Um. Well, anyway, that's that tea. Um, I I have to admit, like, I can really appreciate and enjoy some some Chinese green teas, but man, I am I'm I'm down with Japanese green teas all the way. Like I yesterday, um. I brewed up like some really strong multiple 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 infusions of um, a uh, karigane cha and uh, man yeah that stuff just it just does it for me I really like the uh, flavor profile mm. of of that tea but nice as you said it's good to kind of mix mix it up so and I really the one thing I will say I really liked the look of the dry leaf of this tea this melon seed green the the dry leaf it had like hmm. you know they were all relatively the same length and sort of not whole leaf but part leaf but pretty much whole leaf like you know um kind of kind of roughly broken leaf and then they were like kind of lightly twisted they were visually appealing to me I'm getting tea yeah yeah they were all that's a good point they were all kind of the same length yeah and they were a very nice like rich green like very very bright green color yeah it had a and they weren't shiny they were very matte you know they were they were they were um, mm. and that is the one thing I have to admit the presentation of the leaf in terms of um, Chinese green teas compared to Japanese green teas is like night and day. And that, I I think, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that is at least one reason, and maybe not even consciously, why some people don't like Japanese green teas because the way they process them, it's not about presenting the 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 leaf to visually look at which is kind of odd considering japanese culture but the the leaf oh man i mean half the time they they um process their their tea into fukamushi uh sencha and fukamushi is like deep steamed and so at the end of the process you're looking at it's just very very broken almost almost it it almost looks like the grade of tea that you would put into tea bags because it's broken up to such a degree um hmm. but that's just sort of the process to get it to the flavor profile and how they want it so that is that that could be a whole conversation and argument and that when you look at how how china processes their teas and it's much more centered on you know the final final product being much more a whole leaf and they they do their best not to you know break it down 
um, at least in Japan. And again, I guess you could also bring in the fact that Japan pretty much produces like 90% of their tea with machinery. Like it's very, very machine driven versus China. Uh, you know, some, some portions of it are hand, hand done, you know, done by hand. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah. So that's the one thing. Like I, I visually, I really enjoy looking at different uh, Chinese green teas, but I'm not really that impressed by looking at most Japanese green teas. But I really like the flavor of Japanese green teas. Hmm. Yeah, the machine, uh, the use of machines probably changes the visual, uh, like yeah. the diversity. Yeah, I, th- I think it's the machines, and then again, like the the steaming. Like, I think a, you can really bring such an analogy to buying some spinach, and then you you put it in a, a pot or something, you steam it, or you boil it or whatever. And if you you know if you boil it for too you know quote unquote too long, or you boil it longer than you necessarily need to, maybe. You know the, the 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 leaves will start to break down, and that's sort of what happens. Like especially with Fukamushi, which is actually why I like I think Fukamushi personally for me is just too much. Like they've they've processed it almost too much. Um, because when you brew when you brew a Fukamushi sencha, man, like the liquid looks to me like you just whipped up a batch of matcha like it's so opaque right oh wow because you've you've and 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 again there's benefits to that because man you you brew up fukamushi and you are drinking a lot of the leaf because it's been um you know it's been broken down to such a degree that you know the the filter or whatever you're using isn't going to stop all the particles going into the into the cup yeah, that kind of reminds me of, uh, there's a tea I got called a Kona Cha, and Kona means, like, powder, and it's like, uh, it's like a very inexpensive tea. I think even at, like, a, a grocery store in the U.S., I just got this cheap bag of it for, like, two fifty or something, and, um, it's just a really cheap, low-budget, uh, green tea that's been broken up into very, very small pieces, and yeah, it, it creates a very opaque brew. But it's like your everyday green tea that you just, you know, swill down with your <laughs> meals kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I My mean, wife loves it. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I, I can't speak to, like, the quality of all all konachas, I guess. But but I'd say, yeah, maybe maybe they're, they're your more commodity level. But Fukumushi, like, Fukumushi doesn't mean necessarily a specific quality it just means the the process that is that is used on the tea so there you could you could have a really shitty fukamushi and you could have a really really tasty fukamushi yeah yeah um i'll have to try yeah that's uh some green tea talk um Let's jump into your your topic. I I did read the article that you posted on the Discord server, and I, I skimmed the very last number of paragraphs, but um, I feel that I have a, a general sense of his argument and sort of stance and all that. 
but yeah, let, maybe kind of introduce what it is that, that you brought up on here and what your thoughts are on it. And yeah, kind of give, give me a give me a general consensus of, of where you stand with this. Um, yeah, so so like it's a pretty it's a pretty, you know, complex topic and I truly don't understand it so much myself. The reason I the way I got into this was I was reading uh, what was it? I was reading something mm, something last year. It was like I it was like during the whole political time with uh, when like politics about you know COVID nineteen and Trump versus Biden and Black Lives Matters and all that stuff was at like its peak. And there was some article online and I can't remember even where it came from, but it was talking about that and it mentioned this this um theory this um philosophy theory uh created by this person named guy debord and he wrote this um he wrote uh like a, a book i guess in i think the 1960s and it was called the society of the spectacle and i tried to read that book directly and it was very very hard to read it's like very deep pure philosophy um mm. you know it's like you have to have like a degree in philosophy and 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 i was i even googled like how to read the society of the spectacle and they were saying like you know you have to really break i mean you have to really like every sentence is so packed with meaning but anyway so i i read a couple summaries of his basic like gist and the link that i sent you was was sort of one of the summaries but it goes into like i wasn't really so anyway there's this theory that he has um that like this concept of something called the spectacle which is like like an image or like a a show and his idea is that and he wrote this in the 60s so he was concerned that like everything in our society is becoming a spectacle um due to the media and then there's all these other implications and i think they even talk about like uh they start talking about the economy and they start talking about all these other you know things and but i was just kind of interested in the the general concept that everything is a spectacle and he talks a lot about celebrities and how and so a good example is like the tv shows uh reality tv like um what were some of those uh those shows where they follow people's lives and they try to make it seem like it's authentic but it's kind of all staged and then there was somebody who wrote a piece recently saying that he wrote this in the 1960s but it has so many implications for social media today like everything that we put on instagram is a spectacle uh you know everything we try to even like participating in a protest is a spectacle it's like it's like uh, you know I'm I'm participating in this protest because that's what we do to to hmm. show that we have freedom of speech not because I actually I mean it it depends on on who but it it was like this idea that maybe a lot of the people who are shouting the loudest and protesting the most um are the ones who are actually least invested in the the cause itself and it's more of a spectacle it's like a display of look at look at me look at who i am um and then on social media it's so obvious you know like posting pictures that show 
supposedly show like your lifestyle um but they're perfectly photoshopped in there you know you only post you curate your pictures to to show this image of your lifestyle and so that's like a pretty like obvious example but he said it's with everything else in our in our society even like i try to think of examples all the time like i just saw a fire truck drive down my street with its sirens like blaring and you know this huge massive fire truck and uh there's no traffic and it's just blaring its sirens and i'm like where is it going you know it's probably going to like rescue a cat out of a tree or something um you know and if it is actually going to put out a fire then you know of course i um you know i i support that but it's it's almost like you know i don't know like i think of other countries and their their fire trucks and how they're so much smaller than our fire trucks and our fire trucks have american flags plastered all over them and it's like the the image of a firefighter as this great like hero um is so is such an image it's such a spectacle and and you know some you know firefighters are are heroes when they run into buildings to try to save people's lives but it's it's such a it's such an image and such a spectacle um so yeah i don't know i just that those are my thoughts it's a pretty complex theory with all these things but i thought that just that concept of the spectacle how everything is an image um that represents something uh i thought that was really really neat yeah so yeah i'm curious if that was your understanding or or what you thought about well i'd say i'm i'd say my reading of the article you sent uh, yeah, for the most part, I agree with how you're interpreting it. I, the the fire truck example, I'm not sure. I I'm not sure. Like I'm almost trying to think what guy de, de, Bo, de board is. I, I don't know how you would pronounce. It. He's French, I assume. So, <laughs> yeah. de bord or something. I'm gonna mangle that one. But um. I think I don't know if he would actually agree on the fire truck thing. I think because, but I don't know. Yeah, let's not go down. Like, let's not get that pedantic. But um, no, that's a good point. Yeah, that that might not be the most accurate like example. But but so, and it's funny that you mentioned you tried to read the original book, the 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 Society of the Spectacle, because, and the way you described it, like I I have to say. I've only dived into sort of pure philosophy, like going into like a, a philosophy circle or, um, you know, trying to access direct philosophy, you know, written by philosophers. And I have to say, I, I have, I, I'm fairly critical on a lot of just pure philosophy because to to me to me so much of it is written in sort of a round like it is it's trying it's like it's trying it's a try hard like it's trying to be as <laughs> as asinine and complicated as possible <laughs> and it and at a point it like breaks itself off from reality and it all becomes you know, an art style or something. And so, 
the, I don't know. I just my own anecdotal, you know, um, um, exposure. I'll say to some some philosophers and and some of the stuff that they dive deeply into. Like they're overcomplicating it. They're not. They're not making themselves clear. They're convoluted. It's like, and I have to say, like Guy Debord is like s- some of the stuff that he's saying. It's like, okay, you keep calling it the spectacle, and you're and and even in this. In this, and clearly, I I just read this um, article, so it's, you know, how many times removed from the original source material, right? Hell, is the is the article you sent me is sure. it as part of the spectacle? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> is, because is it the is it is it you know true reality or you know what I mean? Like, we could go down <laughs> like this is the mm. problem. Um, sure, and so. I like to think, I agree, okay, so so yeah, let me let me try to wrap up my, my thoughts here. I agree with a lot of what he is saying. I often refer to it as like the facade, like we, we all have access hmm. to sort of the facade of other individuals, of entity, you know, entities being like organizations, groups, um, you know, whatever, different, different groups of people and things like that, companies. Um, we have access. We only have so much access to uh, people, and so yeah, we have to then create a more developed image of those things. And a lot of it is just kind of built out of whole cloth, you know, whatever comes out of your brain and culture. Um, so I agree with him in that. Um, his so early in that in that article. I think it was again. It, it started getting in t- way too into the weeds with how he was trying to define the spectacle and what is the actual spectacle. Spectacle, but early in the um, early in the article, I think it was very clear. His whole thing is he's critiquing modern, or I think they used the term like. Uh, let me go up to the top here. I think I've still got it open. Um, advanced capitalism. Yeah, it's yeah. He goes into capitalism. A lot. Yeah, so so that's where I totally agree with him, and something we all need to sort of just try to try to be aware of is the concept of advanced capitalism. I, and again, I've actually never heard the this term it being called this. I would personally think that you could say advanced capitalism is what is known by some as crony capitalism. Um, it's just sort of, hmm. and crony capitalism is just basically where we're at now in the U.S. and I'm sure by any you know many other com- um, countries, where government and business are in bed with one another to such degrees, and you know money is what greases greases the entire machine of, hey, we have huge groups of um, of of uh, what am I trying to say? The uh, people that go to Washington and and uh, fight for different companies. <laughs> Why am I blanking on this? Oh, lobbyists. Yeah, thank you, lobbyists. Um, huh? And just how much money goes into simply, you know, making the market work for a sp- specific company or industry, um, just by yeah, you know, lobbying 
politicians. And um, that, you know, so, so you can go down a whole path of like, okay, well, yeah, the current current state of capitalism is not what the, you know, kind of natural, true, um, un, you know, just just pure state of capitalism would be. And that's an art. I mean, I think that's a solid argument. I think that's that's one to be had. And so maybe he's not specifically um, against capitalism, but just sort of the current or you know more modern version of it. You know, they say advanced capitalism. So I agree with that, hmm. but um, I don't know some some of the other things. Like apparently he th- thinks art is dead, and I'm just like, what 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 are you what are you saying? Art art is dead. Like <laughs> I personally love uh, a lot of modern art. Like literally in the last episode of this podcast, I the last topic was glitch art. I was describing what glitch art is, and I'm a big fan of glitch art. And glitch art is something that could only have been created with modern you know technology and and some level of consumerism and stuff so um yeah that i disagree with him and you know i don't know i he apparently was a very unhappy person or he had some issues because apparently he was he he killed himself i guess he yeah he went into a, a decline yeah and he was and he admits that he yeah, I guess he was quite quite the the drinker. Um you know, and and look, like that's bad. Like I, cle- clearly he had maybe he you know, I don't know if he ever was diagnosed as an alcoholic, but sounds to me at least that he was an alcoholic. Um which pro- you know, I ailments like that can cause all sorts of um states of mind and so you know i again i think a lot of what he's saying is totally just and uh something to be discussed and thought of i wouldn't also say that it's anything super uh super original I, i i i feel that there's many people that um maybe before him even were kind of questioning the way society was going and hell that's that's always happening like that was happening hundreds of years ago um you know hey we my stone tools just fine i don't need that metal what you're 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 too materialist over here you know something like that so i don't know i um i agree with a lot of what he's saying yeah but i also feel like he's maybe being too too critical and i i will say the the last point i'll say which is at the very end of the article i'm glad that they said this because this was what i kept coming back to in my mind as i was reading um i'm like okay he's criticizing current you know ways of living uh, the, the current way society is going what's the alternative give us give us the answer buddy like it's fine if you want to critique it but if you don't have an answer to this or or how you think you know we should live and that's what towards the end of the article that's like they say oh yeah no a big big criticism of his work is well you don't really give uh, a very clear answer of, of the true path we all should be taking you know yeah it's kind of just a, a big manifesto of complaining about things right which again right. yeah I, I see what you're good. saying it should be discussed it should be brought up I think um 
I think that some of what he's saying, it's funny, funnily enough, and, and, and again, I may, maybe I'm, I'm, it, to, to, to many ears it's sounding like I'm being too hard on the guy, but what's funny is you posted that. Now, separately, I um, watched, I, so I watch these uh, Intelligence Squared debates. So there's an organization called Intelligence Squared, and then they made a U.S. branch many years ago. And they have what's known as Oxford-style debates on different motions, so different topics. And there was one um, just this past, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, um, and the topic was legal or the motion. So they, you know, it's like here's the motion, and it's a for and against. The motion was legalize psychedelics, and I'm a big proponent of psychedelics. And um, you know their study and research being done on them, and and I went into the argument with my vote for legalizing psychedelics, um, but I of course wanted to listen to the to the arguments against because I'm I'm open-minded and I was like ah oh, I'm I'm so for it like what are these arguments against it? And funnily enough. Um, let me see what I wrote here. I put it in. Yeah. The discussion topic I came up with out of listening to that debate was legalizing drugs doesn't give you freedom. It just moves the control to the market from the government. And that was sort of what one of the against side guys was. He, he basically he had written a book on the current state of like cannabis and how the market has like completely you know reimagined cannabis like all the cannabis products you can buy now it, it i have to say like it is pretty insane what the market has yeah. done to cannabis in very short order like in eight years or so and mm-hmm. That was his argument, and I thought it was really a solid argument. It's something that we all got to be, you know, thinking about. And it sort of goes in line with uh, this guy's argument. Like, the market will then sort of control how you view this, these things and how you either want them or, you know, need them. Does that make sense? That's, that's a really, really interesting point. I think because like grow that just remind makes me think about myself like like growing up I had friends in high school and stuff who smoked weed and whatever and I just never really did because I was like all right whatever I just I'm not really interested um, I don't really want to smoke anything just because it's not good for your lungs no matter what right. and they didn't have all the edibles and stuff at that time um, and then later now that it's legal in Massachusetts where I live um, and like I, I went to a conference in Seattle one time and it was legal there before it was legal in mass. And uh, I went to Denver one time for another conference. And of course, it's legal there. And so like when I went to all those places, I was like, whoa, I'm in a place where weed is legal. I'm going to, you know, I, ha- I have to, you know, I have to buy weed and I have to um, like so. So I got like a little vape thing, you know, and I, I vaped cannabis. And like, I don't know. And then there's a shop down the street from me and like, I don't know, I just go in sometimes and I'm like, hmm, what what should I buy? Because it's almost like there's this image telling me like, now that weed is legal, you know, you have to, 
you, you have to buy it. It's just mm. like it's and before I never even thought about it. I wasn't even interested in it. Um, but now it's being blasted all over the place and there's so many blog articles about, you know, this and that and um and C B D and and you know, helping you sleep and helping you with creativity and all sorts of interesting stuff. And so I was like, um, I'm not like a, a regular cannabis user by, by any means, but sometimes I, I get curious when I read an article, like it can help creativity or, um, or like it can, uh, help make you, uh, pay attention to different flavors and food that you didn't notice before. And so I get kind of curious and I want to like try those things, but like it's almost like you yeah so i I think i see is that kind of what you're saying like if it's legal and it starts to be more accepted and prevalent and we get this message everywhere that this is this stuff is available and it's acceptable and it's affordable then you know you got to try it (laughs) yeah yeah i think i think that's at least part of it it's it's change yeah the image the image of it is now like the way you're describing it, it's like before you know weed was something you smoked and that was that's the end of the story and and it was and it had certain cultural connotations around it and now it's like oh man you can you can have gummy bears with the chemical components that are contained in cannabis you know and it's like the image and the culture and the ideas around it have like have just exploded into so many new areas and so yeah it, it has such a different look to it um or fe- there's you know. cannabis yoga events around here are you serious cannabis yoga yeah that that was oh the, my the first God. time i ever i think the I've first time i ever like legally that. did cannabis was when we were yeah there was a yoga event and we were like all right and they they give you a vape and you vape are you shitting you me yoga dude <laughs> I thought that was something novel. I was down in Puerto Rico living there and I was doing I was doing like a weekly yoga thing and the instructor she kind of floated the idea once. She's like, "Hey, you know, how many of you guys want to maybe, you know, toke it and then I don't know, yoga it." Yoga. <laughs> um, and I was like not into it at all. I was like if I smoke cuz for me personally it is like if I smoke cannabis or I take any cannabis um with th you know THC cannabis you know so now you got to specifically say uh THC instead of um I am out man like I I I basically lay down and can't can't do do much of anything so I I um it's probably not for me but I I don't know yeah that's interesting yoga with cannabis and probably there's who knows how many other activities now that are combined with cannabis for hey you know what if you like it helps you out I'm all for it but um I think I think the whole gist of all of this is just being aware just being being oh yeah just being aware of the society and culture that you live in I I personally another thing he said is like it like the way capitalism and sort of the spectacle goes like it kills creativity and i just don't buy that either like so the i'm kind of tired of the story that money 
is all that people care about and it's it, and whatever will bring you more money is what you do i'm not convinced of that i personally think most people need other forces to get them out of bed other than money um yes it could guide you into certain areas but you need an interest in what you're doing you you need more fulfillment like money isn't going to fulfill you i mean for sure some people i mean for sure there are some people that are just you know uh scrooge mcducks you know i guess i'll call them but uh <laughs> I, yeah. I think most yeah, like, people, at least, again, most of the people that I've ever talked to, money isn't like their entire life focus. Right. So. Yeah. What What do you think about the idea of, of creativity being reduced um, in a world where, like, everything seem, everything's kind of, like, defined? Like, um you know um, like i don't like here's a weird example i went out to there's a rooftop restaurant and i went out to a restaurant with my friend the other day for the first time in a while um and it's outdoors and like when we sat down it was a, it was kind of like a fan i had this friend who's really into like fancy restaurants and he invites me sometimes to these places and and he makes really good recommendations and we try all this interesting food that i've never had before um but like when we when we sat down they said like okay what will you be having to drink and like like you know pointing at this this menu of all these fancy drinks that were really expensive and they're all alcoholic drinks and so it's almost like there's this image there's this spectacle or this assumption that the first thing you do at a restaurant is you order an alcoholic drink and we just ordered it we ordered we each ordered a drink and i remember thinking to myself like you know, I, I'm not even in the mood to drink alcohol right now, or like I don't, I don't really want to drink. But but that's just what you do at these restaurants. You know, that's hmm. that's the image. It's it's the the framework has been set where when you go to a fancy restaurant, the first thing you do is order a drink, and usually it's alcohol. Um, and then they ask you what your appetizers are, right? And and you know, there's this there's a framework there's there's the main course and there's dessert and so that's like a silly example but like it would just do you think in some way that reduces creativity because in our minds we already have it set that this is the way things work this is the this is the pattern so no i think that's actually a really good example i so i i actually disagree with that yeah i so so my my sort of rebuttal to that is what what is the alternative does the waiter then come to you and say so what would you guys like to do today you know like <laughs> how, how would you like this to go <laughs> and and so and and here's my here's my main point on this that's hilarious yeah here's my main point on this <laughs> that would be a really good skit <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you guys want to go skip in the park <laughs> you know um this the, there there has to be some structure there has to be some um, sort of standardization in in a culture, like a, a, a like an expectation, right? Like when you go to a restaurant, um, the expectation is, yeah, you sit, you know, maybe you walk into the like you could get into like all the nitty gritty, right? Like what do you expect when you walk into the into the restaurant? 
that a waiter waiter comes up to you, or do you expect to just walk in and find a seat um, that's open, right? And sometimes there's a sign trying to direct you into what that specific restaurant does, right? Whether it wants you to go find a seat mm-hmm. or whether it wants you to wait. Um, if everything is so open-ended, then the amount of of brain activity, like, and, and I'm kind of getting into this because I, I'm, I'm I'm a big fan of the of the argument that evolution has has gotten us to use the least amount of energy um, for the for the most gain, and so you generally are always trying to um, do shortcuts. You're you're trying to not think as much as possible. Right, because thinking is is high energy, it's it's consuming, it's it's taxing on the system. So there's and and Daniel Kahneman does does a great job of describing this. I, I reference this book probably too often, but the the book Thinking Fast and Slow. It's a classic in psychology, like psych, I guess I'll say psychology or just neuroscience or whatever. Um, definitely a solid book to read because he describes system one and system two Mm. and it's basically the point that there's sort of fighting forces in your brain where you don't you don't want to have to make decisions all the time every day every day shouldn't have to be um something new and and a new path that you have to traverse every single day there should be a fairly nice concise path that you're traveling and then occasionally when things come up, you kind of flip into the other system and you're like, all right, endless possibilities here. What am I going to do? It's like when you go into the store and you go to the grocery aisle, you're on your own. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you, you have all the, all the, uh, the ability to choose whatever cereal you want. And there's like 80 options, right? Um, I don't want that every day. I, I, example, I, yeah. I need, I need these things to be, you know, sort of put into a, uh, a system. So, so I mean, I, yes, you could say that like that does hinder creativity, but man, like what is the alternative? Like, I don't know if you could just be creative right. all day, every day. There's like a limit to it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's that's a good point. The the cereal aisle is a great example. Oh my god, uh, yeah, that yeah, killed me. Maybe the restaurant, maybe that's not like the greatest example of a spectacle. I guess that that wouldn't be a, a, a spectacle. I mean, yeah, let's think of like um cuz I think I like I something get where see, you're coming from. Um just something you'd see on TV maybe. So one one interesting thing was like um the example of what success is or the example like mm. when we see on tv um like or or in a magazine like um just like on a car commercial you see somebody driving right on a driving in a in a suv like in the mountainside on all these like off roads and stuff like you know like how many of us drive like off road in our suvs like <laughs> on the yeah, that's a good and, one. And so that's that's like an image. It's almost like it it it's like you know that's that's what an SUV is for. If I buy this SUV, I'm gonna be like that guy, that adventurous, you know, cool guy. And so 
Maybe in a way that hinders creativity. I don't know, because an SUV can be useful for so many other things. It has a lot of storage space. You could, like, I, I had a friend who took an old van and he converted the van into, like, a music performance stage. And he drove around with his friends and they, like, performed music, like, out of his van. And it was, like, this really cool, like, hip, hipster thing to do. But, like, that that was true creativity, I think. And I think that these, like, images of, like, this is what you do in an SUV. This is what it's for. Like, I don't know. I just, I feel like sometimes that might hinder creativity. Um, yeah. I, I almost argue, though, that a lot of these images that you see in media, you know, beautiful people with perfect skin and, um, I don't know, you know, the, the body images, right? Like, very musk, you know, six-pack ab guy. And, um... Yeah you know yeah the cool truck and all like personally i i i think a lot of these images it's not as if someone just in a in a room just started started sketching out okay what is the thing we're gonna now sell to people like i think these are i think these are images that the collective human psyche has decided these are things that we we imagine would be great if we if we were these things like it 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 hmm. i don't think that you can point to and for certain things for sure for for if for you i'm sure you could come up with some examples where you know like a certain image and culture came from a specific company's campaign or something like that but generally speaking um i think a lot of these are coming from just the overall excuse me, the overall psyche of, of, of human beings. Like, do, you know, I, I guess what I would ask you, do I want, um, fabulous abs because marketing and capitalism, or do I want fabulous abs because of like an inherent want for a, a nice, like, chiseled but i don't know like yeah where did that come from like the chiseled body image is that coming from yeah or is it a combination i don't know well i think i mean it it's a sign of like health and strength and you know it's kind of like tied to our instinct you know yeah and, i think and, at least very know, everybody at least partially healthy not mostly Cause, yeah, so no, that's a really good point. Is like I think his theory of Guy Debord's theory of the society of the spectacle, according like in this article at least, it makes it sound like there's some secret evil behind the scenes actor who's like controlling society and trying to like distract us with all these spectacles so that these greedy companies can control us under the new capitalism. But I don't, I mean, I don't think it's this conscious coordinated thing. That's kind of like a conspiracy theory. Like, I, I don't think that there are all, there's some shady group of people meeting and being like, how can we distract, mm. you know, the, the citizens so that we can control them? I, like, I think it's like you said, it's, it's more of, it's just something that kind of naturally happens. And when we, we construct it as a society, um, like, you know, of course people want, nice skin and of, of course people want you know healthy bodies 
And then these companies kind of capitalize on that. So I, I don't think it's the other way around. Like these companies are are controlling us in all the cases. I I, I agree. I agree. I, I I really do. I think it. A lot of it is sort of unconscious. It's not really like the focus. It just is sort of a symptom of of the times, almost in a way. Um, sure. Yeah. Um. I, I don't like I don't know if this is really a central part of what his argument is, but you know the article kept saying, hey, like you know a lot of this could be so applied to current days, like you you had mentioned earlier, and I I agree with that, and and I sort of supplant what I constantly bring up in in place of what he's saying, in that it's really a factor of information, and and the way that society has grown to be fully globalized and like op- like almost in a way everything is open you have acts like again not every single individual in the world but let's just take modern society as as our example here like if you're living in a modern society you have like access to every like ever almost everything if you have access to the internet right you have access to just about anything um and we this is so new to the human brain like to navigate that is excessively difficult and so that's taking a lot of thinking to to navigate so much information so yeah i think all too often especially if you're on social networks and that's the other thing like i don't know about you but i'm not the best guy to be talking to about you know how social networks change you and and how how much of a of a a uh what's the word i want to use like you're just a you're you're non-thinking entity in social social media and and these you know facebook and instagram and all these all these sites because i don't use them and so i i don't know necessarily like all that goes on on these sites and then i use ad blockers on my browsers because i can't i honestly when i go to someone else's computer and i get on the internet and i see how they see the internet with all the ads on it i would not be able to use the internet with that many ads everywhere um no way just absolutely not so I'm not the best person, yeah, right? Because I'm probably, you know, somebody that that specifically kind of curates my way of seeing some of it. But again, like my my main argument here is that a, a lot of the a lot of the issues are just inherent with how we've progressed in that. In the past, you were much more of a significant individual because you were one of, let's say, 150. Now, the way it is, you're one of 7.5 billion, right? So your significance just over time has dwindled down to a number that you barely can comprehend anymore, right? I mean, humans, we can kind of understand numbers up into the hundreds barely, when you get into thousands and then tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, billions, like it just goes out the window. You, you just, it, it, it's, it's sort of this rough concept that you have. So 
I think right, a major right. part of this is just individualism. People, I mean, I think that's probably partially why, like, right now, it's, like, all about, individ, you know, um, identity. You know, a lot of people are very, very focused on, on their identity because you do, at a point, like, you're like, oh, shit, like, there are now, like, billions and billions of us and sort of you're not you're not cordoned off you're not you're not cut off from all of them you're as as long if as long as you're using media and the internet like you're connected to a lot of people um and i think i think like um the images and the things that you're wanting to become and like you know the celebrity like he brings up celebrities in that article and stuff like yeah you you're sort of like how do i become something how do i become you know known and significant uh again because you know in the past you you know in a tribe you were significant you're no longer most people are not significant like you, I, m- most people are just not significant. <laughs> like, like, I'll just, I'll just say it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that's problematic for. I mean, it's problematic for me. I, I, I imagine every day. Like, I'm like, okay, how do I become the cool guy that built, you know, X Y Z X R app? Like, the, I want to be, I want to be a developer that's known. You know, for making this cool VR app, um, I want people to come interview me. I want people to 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 uh, ask me of my opinion of of these topics. Now, where's that coming from? Like, why do I want that? Right? I I don't really have an answer for it, mm. other than what we're discussing yeah, here. Could... Yeah. Yeah. It could, yeah, it's definitely related. I think there, there's some influence going on. Yeah. So I mean, I, I feel it. I, I I'm sure plenty of people have no interest in the lime, you know, in being in the limelight or being of any significant, um, you know, contributor. Like there's, pl- you know, it, it the world takes all. Some people want to just be left alone, and you know, they they have no interest in being. You know, that's the other thing, right? Like. I think as many people that want to be significant, there's probably plenty of people that want to not be significant, right? Yeah, that's that's a good point. There's like people who don't want to be in the limelight. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, it's. I think this kind of all, you know, is is connected to a certain degree because. Um. Again, like my big argument on Guy DeBoer's thing is like he's not giving me something as an alternative. Like he's he, he is criticizing the way um, we're creating images and 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 you know want want for all these things and stuff. But it's like, what is the other path? Like, um, yeah, I don't know. Not sure how I feel like our conversation is devolving to a certain degree here, but that's what <laughs> no, happens like... here on Brighton the Stair. <laughs> um, it's good. Good, uh, good chat. Yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe next time we'll try another Mayleaf tea and we'll get into another uh, crazy all over the place conversation. I, uh, 
I think, yeah, because I, 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 I feel like that was a solid... Well, well, shoot, how long have we been going? Yeah, so it's, it's we're, we're, we're definitely at, at good time here. Um, so, yeah, uh, Brendan, appreciate the time. Good chat. I definitely have plenty to kind of mull over in my mind now that we've uh, kind of broken down that article a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, same here. So... Well, guys, cool. thanks for thanks listening. For um, I'll say it again. If you want to be part of the Discord server, uh, just send a message to hello at brainsteep.com. And as Brendan says, keep steeping. Keep steeping. Keep steeping. Later. Uh-huh.